famous Largo al Factotum from Rossini's Il Barbieri di Sevilla, as sung by Tito Gobi with Alceo Galliera conducting the Philharmonia Orchestra in that 1958 recording. A very good evening from me, Adrian Fuchs, your host for this edition of Great Interpreters here on Fine Music Radio. The subject of tonight's program is baritone Tito Gobi, one of the great iconic voices of the 20th century and the leading operatic baritone of his era. Gobi's interpretations of the buffa roles of Figaro, Gianni Schicchi, and Falstaff, the famous Verdi roles for baritone Rigoletto, Nabucco, Macbeth, and Iago in Otello, and most especially his portrayal of Scarpia in Puccini's Tosca, amongst many others, have become the stuff of legend. During his long and distinguished career, which spanned more than 40 years, Gobi performed in the foremost opera houses of the world alongside artists of the caliber of Maria Callas, Beniamino Gigli, his brother-in-law Boris Christoph, Zinka Milanov, and collaborated with conductors of the likes of Tullio Serafin and Herbert von Karajan. In 1984, Sir John Tully wrote in opera magazine, Tito was one of the most exceptional artists of our time, for his deep understanding of the character, the diligence in his research, the acute observation of human nature. All this was fused into a voice that he could color to illuminate the text and the thoughts and feelings of the character which he was both playing and living. Tito's contribution to the development of opera and to its growth as a vital and living art form is beyond doubt. Before we continue with tonight's program, a reminder that you can download a copy of this broadcast from my website on and off the record www.onandofftherecord.com And if you'd like to get in touch with me or have comments or questions about tonight's program, you can do so by emailing me at adrian at onandofftherecord.com I hope you enjoy the next two hours with me as we explore the great voice and artistry of Tito Gobi. Oh, oh, oh. 
Rodrigo's aria Perme Junto Il Di Supremo from Verdi's Don Carlo, as sung by Tito Gobi, with Gabriele Santini conducting the Rome Opera Orchestra in that 1954 recording. Tito Gobi was born in the Italian town of Bassano del Grappa on the 24th of October 1913. While he was studying law at the University of Padua, a musician friend of the family heard him sing and suggested that he should undergo voice training. And so it happened that in 1932 he moved to Rome to study with Giulio Crimi, the eminent Sicilian tenor, who taught him for more than five years. It was under Crimi's mentorship that Gobi undertook his first professional engagement, the bass role of Rudolfo in Bellini's La Sonnambula. In November 1935, Gobi secured a small contract with La Scala, though very little came of it except for a few insignificant minor roles. The following year, Gobi won an international competition in Vienna, which was lucrative enough but did not lead to any further operatic engagements. He continued to search for work and was eventually cast as a troubadour in the film I Condottieri. This not only provided him with paid employment for seven months of filming all over Europe, but also earned him enough money to marry his sweetheart, Tilda Derensis, the daughter of a famous Italian musicologist. So you were born in Bussano di Grappa? Bassano del Grappa, yes. It's a lovely, romantic, medieval uh, town with a beautiful river and a marvelous mountain all around. Mm -hmm. And the Grappa is the mountain number one, very historical, and that's give the name to my hometown. When you were small, was there a lot of music in your home? There was a good atmosphere, a good love of music, amateurish, naturally. My sister was uh, playing piano rather well, rather good. My brother was trying to play violin, and then he he, he broke the, the instrument in the, in the head of the teacher, and so he stopped <laughs> the lessons. <laughs> My father was used to sing when we went up in the mountain for an excursion in a, in a holiday in summer, was used to sing uh, Un bel di vedremo. And when I told him, but Papa, this is an area for a soprano, it doesn't matter, I love it. He was right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story that at your first school, when the choir appeared at a concert, you were told not to sing. Yes, yes, that's true, because uh, maybe... Uh, still very young, but my voice was changing, developing. I don't know what happened. And I was out of tune. I was shouting. And the poor maestro, teacher, uh, walking around the, the class, he stopped in front of me and said, you just have to mime and not produce any sound. So that was my big debut in the chorus, the school. <laughs> in fact, so, your voice was discovered on a tennis court, I yes. believe. Yes, we <laughs> were playing tennis, and I was singing a very famous song at this time, Ama mi bacia mi compassione. And the owner of the villa where we used to go, all the young boys, called me. He was a musician and a, and a composer himself, himself and uh, the Barone Zanchetta, and a great uh, uh, musicologist also. And... Uh, he listened to my voice, he decided I was buried. And then he suggested to my father to make me study singing. And my father said, yes, but first he must be a lawyer. 
because I want him to be sure to be safe. I have no much confidence in the career, in artistic career. He was quite a solid man in business. But you had to go and, and get an expert opinion so oh, that yes. your father could. Oh, yes. We went in Rome where I, I was uh, lucky enough to meet my maestro, yes. Giulio Crimi. He was a great tenor in the Caruso's time. He took me in the garden and he called for Toluca, Matilde, Tilde, Toluca, he called her. And she answered from the top of the tree, uh, will you come down, please, and play piano for uh, this young boy here? And so she jumped down the tree and uh, I met my wife. Up a tree. What happened at that audition? This audition was good. And the maestro said, okay, said to my father, I can't promise anything. The sound is good, still very young. Uh, the boy looks nice, but uh, I don't know him. I want to study him a little more closely. And in three months, I will tell you if it is good to go on with a singing lesson or better to have a lawyer in your house. And after three months, he wrote to my father and said, OK, I think we can go on. It will be a baritone. Yes. And that was... What was your first appearance on the operatic stage? My first appearance was a, a rather funny one, and my, my debut in La Scala, which was a, a disaster. They asked me to replace a man who was singing a few words, to sing only a few phrases, but nobody told me when. So I entered on stage and I started singing when the basso Tancredi Pasero was uh, at the half way of X big cadenza. I interrupted this area, it destroyed everything. Oh, <laughs> that was my, my real first debut, but then I went uh, in, a, in a more serious uh, business. I did Traviata in mm. Roma and then at the Royal Opera House in Rome. I did Donne Curiose by Bol Ferrari that I learned in one day. Uh, But I did quite a good job in one day only. Yes, you are a quick study. You can learn very quickly. Yes, very quick. The beginning of your career, you got a a very profitable job in a film by showing you could turn somersaults. Yeah. Yes, I did uh, the the film uh, um, I Condottieri. That's you mean? Yes. Yes, I did a film Condottieri with Louis Stranka, and uh, there were, I think, 20 young fellows who were looking for this work. And uh, I was supposed to jump over a table to catch a guitar in the, in the hand and start playing and singing. And I did with a beautiful jump all over the table and so and I was accepted. I was also an acrobat, acrobatic at this time. And uh, that was the beginning of my real uh, career in the, what do you call it, in the show business. <laughs> <laughs> and that extract from an interview with Tito Gobi was taken from a BBC Desert Island Discs broadcast presented by Roy Plomley on Saturday the 30th of June 1979. In June 1937, Gobi was asked to sing the role of Giorgio Germont in La Traviata as an emergency replacement. He had only a few hours to prepare for the performance, which was conducted by Antonino Votto at the Teatro Adriano in Rome. With very little stage experience and having never performed the role on stage before, Gobi agreed. The gamble paid off and he tasted his first big success. 
corti cancello di Provenza il mare e il sol al natio fulgente sol qual destino ti furo qual destino ti furo al natio fulgente sol
Di Provenza il Mar from Act 2 of Verdi's La Traviata. Tito Gobi there as Giorgio Germont with the Orchestra of La Scala conducted by Tullio Serafin in that 1956 recording. As it so happened, the famous Italian operatic conductor Tullio Serafin was in attendance during one of those early La Traviata performances. Impressed with what he saw and heard, Serafin invited Gobi to join his company at Rome's principal opera house, the Teatro Reale, now the Teatro dell'Opera. Serafin carefully nurtured the talent of the young and inexperienced Gobi, guiding him through all the main baritone roles in the repertoire, while Gobi gradually formulated his own distinctive ideas about operatic acting and the way in which the voice should also convey the dramatic meaning of the text and the situation being portrayed on stage. Serafin encouraged Gobi to delve deeply into a role and to find the character and the right tone of voice for each role that he portrayed. Gobi learned some 66 roles during his first six years with Serafin. By the end of his career, he was able to boast that he had sung almost a hundred major roles, as well as 36 secondary ones. By 1941, Gobi had already undertaken a number of important parts, including Scarpia in Tosca, Marcello in La Bohème, Renato in Un Ballo in Maschera, Tonio in I Pagliacci, and the title role in Simone Bocconegra. In 1942, he made his debut at La Scala in the role of Belcore in L'Elezir d'Amore. Let's listen now to Gobi's 1953 rendition of Come Paride Vezzoso from L'Elezir d'Amore. In this extract, Gobi, as the pompous, swaggering Sergeant Belcore, arrives in the village with his platoon and, comparing himself to Paris of Greek history, presents flowers to Adina while at the same time bragging as to how irresistible he is. In this recording, you can hear what a wonderful time Gobi has as Balcore. His voice is full, rounded and puffed up, bursting with self-importance. Listen to the gleeful pomposity in his voice as he sings Son galante e son sergente. I'm gallant and I'm a sergeant too. In his own opinion, he is just too good to be true and totally irresistible. Gobi conjures up the perfect image of the swaggering peacock of a soldier who expects nothing less than ladies to swoon at the sight of him. Vezzoso, forse il pomo alla più bella mia diletta villanella io ti porgo questi fior ma di lui più Oh, 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 
1942, Gobi sang the title role in the Italian premiere of Alban Berg's Wozzeck in Rome under Serafin. In July of that same year, he made his first commercial recordings for the Italian branch of EMI, a series of arias from operas Bacilia, Leoncavallo, Mozart, Verdi and Puccini, released on 78 RPM discs. Let's listen now to the aria Come Due Tizi Accesi from Celia's L'Arlesiana, recorded by Gobi in 1942. Oh, <laughs> 
When did you first sing Scarpia in, in, in Tosca, perhaps your, your best-known role? My first performance as Scarpia go back to 1940, 41. I don't... I don't remember properly now. But anyway, I sang two performances of uh, Tosca in Rieti, a small city with a beautiful theatre in Italy, for 500 liras, which is a one-third of a pound. Two performances. But that was enough to pay some good dinner after the performance. Yes. We were talking about the early days of the war. In fact, during those war years, you were singing for the first time some of your, your big roles, Iago, Figaro, yes. so on. Yes, uh, my big repertoire came out, uh, I started singing this uh, in 1940, 41, 42, uh, and 43 practically, yes. During the German occupation, you, 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 you oh, said during, We have done very little during the German occupation, because everybody tried to run away. In effect, I, I had a terrific experience, frightening because we decided not to perform Tosca for the German uh, the army and so And they said, OK, if you don't come, we come and we pick you up. Don't try to run away. So we have, have been obliged to perform. Yeah. Beniamino Gili, Maria Caniglia, who died just a few weeks ago. Myself, I was Scarpia. The conductor was uh, De Fabrizis. And we had machine gun touching our shoulder all the way and when we walk inside the stage to perform we had nine machine gun all over the winds pointed against us oh, that's just the way uh, to get a good performance and the conductor had two gun machine in the orchestra because they thought that maybe we will shout something in the microphone because it was broadcast yeah. all over the Germany and for the Deutsche Wehrmacht and uh, and at the end, uh, it was a success, big. You know? So that was one of the little things uh, which happened during the war. We had some terrible period. We had a nine month in Rome, which was really hunger. My wife and myself, we had been eating lawn, grass, mm -hmm. that I cut. I went out and without hiding myself. I cut with a little knife that I still carry. I have this at home. Little knife, cutting grass, put in the pocket, and we boiled this, and that was our food. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? It was impossible. And because of what we had, it was necessary to give it to the, to the child, to our daughter. Tito Gobi there in conversation with Roy Plomley as broadcast on BBC's Desert Island Discs in June of 1979. Following the war... Gobi consolidated his position as a leading singer in Italy and further pursued his career in the cinema with a full-length film of Il Barbieri di Siviglia, which led to more films of complete operas as well as other projects. 1947 marked the beginning of Gobi's international career, starting with a highly acclaimed Rigoletto in Stockholm. The following year saw him undertake an extensive concert tour across Britain that included several performances at the Albert Hall as well as making his American debut at the San Francisco Opera. In early 1950, Gobi received an unexpected invitation to sing the title role in Don Giovanni at the Salzburg Festival under Wilhelm Furtwängler, which proved to be one of the most significant productions of its time and helped to confirm Gobi's international reputation. 
Later that same year, he made his long-awaited debut at Covent Garden as Balcore in Donizetti's L'Elezir d'Amore, the same role that also proved the vehicle for his earlier La Scala debut. It was during the 1950s that Gobi really came into his own as a recording artist, when throughout most of the decade he was EMI's principal operatic baritone and appeared in a string of major recordings, including several opposite Maria Callas in Pagliacci, Aida, Tosca, Unbalo and Maschera, Rigoletto and Il Barbieri di Sevilla. Their first collaboration on record was in the 1953 Lucia di Lammermoor. Here is the last section of the Act II duet between Enrico and Lucia. Tullio Serafin conducts the orchestra of the Maggio Musicale Fiorentino.
tardi giubilo senti la riva ebbene giunge il tuo sposo un breve non mi corsa per le vene la testa presso il talamo la tomba, la tomba mi soppresta ora fatale Ma questa Odi, spento e Guglielmo, ascendere vedremo il trono Maria. Prostrate nella polvere, la parte che io seguia. Dal precipizio Arturo posso trarmi solo. Gobi was without a doubt one of the greatest singing actors of the 20th century. He was not only the complete operatic artist in terms of his concerns for singing and acting, but, like Maria Callas, he became the ultimate exponent in the rarer art of acting with the voice, leading the legendary EMI producer Walter Legg to refer to him as the acting voice. Gobi belonged to that special breed, wrote Michael Langdon in Opera Magazine in 1984, who so combine singing and acting that they become inseparable, the complete art form demanded by opera at its sublime best. To each of the roles in his enormous repertoire, 
Gobby brought extraordinary dramatic sensibilities, making even paper-thin creations burst into life. Kurt Palin, in his 1973 treatise Great Singers, called Gobby one of the most versatile of all singers. He could present with complete conviction the mischievousness of Gianni Schicchi, the villainy of Scarpia, the pathetic but somehow disarming remains of Falstaff's gallantry, the nobility of heart and mind of Simone Boccanegra, and the exuberance of Rossini's Figaro. Non più avrai questi bei pennacchini, quel cappello leggero galante, quella chioma, quell'aria brillante, quel vermiglio donnesco color, quel vermiglio donnesco color. Non più avrai quei pennacchini, quel cappello, quella chioma, quell'aria brillante. E non più andrai farfallone amoroso, notte e giorno d'intorno girando, delle belle torbande il riposo, narcisetto ad uncino d'amore, delle belle torbande il riposo, narcisetto ad uncino d'amore. Tra guerrieri può far bacco, Rambo stacchi stretto il sacco, schioppo in spalla, sabra il fianco, fallo dritto, muso franco, un gran casco, un gran turbante, molto onore, poco contante, poco contante, poco contante. Ed invece del fandango, una marcia per il fango. Per montagne e per valloni, con le nebbie e i soleoni, al concerto di tromboni, di bombarde e di cannoni, che le palle in tutti i toni all'orecchio fan fischiar. E non piovrai quei pennacchini, non piovrai quel cappello, non piovrai quella chioma, non piovrai quella Andrai farfallone amoroso, notte e giorno d'intorno girando, delle belle turbande e riposo, un arcisetto ad oncino d'amor, delle belle turbande e riposo, un arcisetto ad oncino d'amor. Perubino alla vittoria, alla gloria militare, perubino alla vittoria, alla gloria militare, alla gloria militare, alla gloria militare.
the aria Non Più Andrai from Act One of Mozart's Le Nozze di Figaro, sung by Tito Gobi with the Philharmonia Orchestra conducted by James Robertson in that 1950 recording. In a 1959 article in Opera Magazine, Harold Rosenthal called Gobi one of the very few great singing actors of the day. His aristocratic bearing and natural feel for words and phrases made him unique, noted Rosenthal. For an actor, wrote John Steen in his 1992 treatise Voices, it can be advantageous to have a face that is not instantly recognizable. Nose and brow otherwise tend to proclaim the inescapable identity of the player beneath the makeup. Similarly, noted Steen, one would think an opera singer might benefit from the possession of a voice that, of its own kind, is standard, not too manifestly individual. But what we find, notes Steen, is that some of the most adaptable voices are also the most idiosyncratic. Charlie Appin's voice was unmistakable. Lotte Lemons was also her own. Yet Boris and Varlam, Prince Igor and Kan Konchak are distinct characters in Charlie Appin's records, as are Lemons, Marshalin, Sieglinde or Frau Fluth in hers. The voices least susceptible to the art of makeup somehow belong to the artists who are best at it. In our time, notes Steen, the prime exponents of this art of vocal makeup have been Maria Callas and Tito Gobi. The immediately distinctive timbre of both voices was itself a feature of their greatness. Yet Gobi's Michele and Gianni Schicchi, for instance, presented not merely different faces, they had different voices. Gobi's voice in itself was not exceptional. It was good but not very large, although there was a thrilling individuality about its timbre which made it instantly recognizable. His voice was dark and personal, yet neither cantabile nor made of steel. John Steen found the mellow yet vibrant center of Gobby's voice tremendously appealing. Although on record, his voice on earlier recordings exhibit a kind of honeyed elegance, this was later supplanted by a greater depth and toughness to his sound. Later in his career, there was also an inevitable loss of responsiveness in the voice, while in the upper range, he was known to regularly sing flat. Vocally, Gobi found ideal refuge in buffo or comic characters such as Falstaff, Gianni Schicchi and Figaro. Here is Dunque il Son from Act 1 of Il Barbieri di Sevilla by Rossini, as sung by Tito Gobi and Maria Callas. Alceo Galliera conducts the Philharmonia Orchestra in this 1957 recording. Siete voi, siete voi, 
If there is one role for which Gobi will be most remembered, it is as the police chief Scarpia in Puccini's Tosca. Critics unanimously agree that it was one of Gobi's finest roles. In his almost 900 performances as Scarpia, he achieved a level of vocal and interpretive mastery that Conrad Osborne summarized as follows. That tirelessly bull-like, domineering full voice sounds inexorable. The curiously gummy, hooded mezza voce is oily and insinuating. The aggressively covered and rather straight sound of the top is nasty and leonine, and his authority in the declamation of his language keeps the text sharp and pregnant. An extract there from Act 2 of Puccini's Tosca, with Tito Gobi as Scarpia and Maria Callas as Floria Tosca, from the famous 1953 EMI recording conducted by Victor de Sabata. The orchestra is that of La Scala in Milan. Gobi refused to play Scarpia as a caricature of villainy, and his portrayal is all the more horrifically convincing for that. According to his own vision of the character, he saw Scarpia as a vulture, looking down on people, regarding them from a height, but all the time ready to pounce. Few recordings in history can claim the legendary status attributed to the 1953 EMI recording of Tosca, featuring Maria Callas as Floria Tosca, Gobi as Scarpia, and Giuseppe Di Stefano as Mario Cavaradossi. Under the masterful guidance of conductor Victor de Sabata and producer Walter Legg, Callas, Gobi, and Di Stefano created what Legg later referred to as immortal contributions to the artistic history of our time. Even today, more than half a century after its initial release, the 1953 Tosca is still considered the definitive recording of Puccini's opera and one of the greatest recordings ever made. Gobi himself noted how it was one of the finest recordings he had participated in and one of his best experiences of this kind. To hear this recording, wrote David Patmore, is to witness not only a great moment in operatic history, but also a realization of Puccini's score that has never been equaled. Fu interrotta. 
And that extract, again from Act 2 of Tosca, with Tito Gobi as Scarpia and Maria Callas as Floria Tosca. Victor de Sabata conducted the orchestra of La Scala. Gobi and Callas's performances on this 1953 recording cast such a strong spell that they instantly became the definitive Scarpia and Tosca in the public's imagination, even though it was not until 1964, in Franco Zeffirelli's famous production at the Royal Opera House at Covent Garden, that they first appeared together in a fully staged production of the opera. Patrick Giles, in an article for Opera News, once wrote that, Looking back, there were two performances that permanently elevated Puccini's opera above the realm of frivolity and disdain, Maria Callas's Tosca and Tito Gobi's Scarpia. Gobi's ruthlessness and Callas's unquiet desperation remain harrowing after repeated samplings. The only drawback to their performances, notes Giles, is that they set such a daunting standard, no Tosca or Scarpia has yet surpassed them, and it's beginning to look like no one ever will. Cavalier, cavaradossi. E tu 
eccellenza. Io Aspetta. Bisogna che tutti abbiano per morto il cavaliere. Quest'uomo fido provvederà. Chi m'assicuro? L'ordine che gli darò voi qui presente. Spoletta, chiudi. Ho votato d'avviso. Il prigionier si è fucilato. Attendi. Facemmo del conte Palmieri, uccisione simulata come avvenne del Palmieri, hai ben compreso, ho oh, ben compreso, ma voglio avvertirlo io stesso, e sia, le darai passo, vado allora quarta. Sì, come Palmieri. Io tenni la promessa. Non ancora. Voglio un salvo condotto onde fuggir dallo stato con lui. Partir don Quervolete. Sì, per sempre. Si adempia il voler vostro.
the finale to Act 2 of Tosca. Heard in that extract was, of course, Tito Gobi as Scarpia and Maria Callas as Floria Tosca. The orchestra of La Scala was conducted by Victor de Sabata. For more than half a century, admirers have commented on the power the recording achieves at the end of Act 1, with the chorus singing a deum as Gobi's godless Scarpia fantasizes about Tosca. It was, as Cecilia, Gobi's daughter, recalls, a grueling process. The deum was repeated 48 times, she noted. The orchestra was perfectly all right. It was, after all, the orchestra of La Scala, and my father didn't make any mistakes. He knew the part so well. But De Sabata was never happy because he couldn't find the right balance between the different elements. De Sabata, a total perfectionist, drove the artists and orchestra over the music again and again. Years later, Gobi told producer and gramophone critic Mike Ashman how the cast were pushed to their limits. We kept on taking the last bit of the scene with Tosca. What really infuriated us was that everyone knew that take nine was it, the hot one, and indeed that was the take that was finally used. Here is the Tadeum from Act One of Puccini's Tosca, taken from that historical 1953 recording.
The finale to Act 2 of Tosca. Heard in that extract was of course Tito Gobi as Scarpia and Maria Callas as Floria Tosca. The orchestra of La Scala was conducted by Victor de Sabata. Many critics consider Tito Gobi the Verdi baritone par excellence of the last century. According to producer Tony Locantro, Verdi's powerful characters found their ideal interpreter in Gobi, who brought to all of them a firm, perfectly focused voice with a typical Italianate ring, as well as powers of dramatic interpretation that brought them vividly to life on stage and on record. Leonardo Bragaglia once wrote that, For 25 years at least, Simone Boccanegra has had the voice, the gestures, and the dramatic tones of Gobi. The mezzi voci he admits in the tragic moments such as Filia at the end of the duet with Amelia and Benedirla in the death scene are not pure and empty sounds, but movements of the soul. Let's listen now to the Act 1 duet Dine Filia a tal nome palpito from Verdi's Simone Bocrenegra. Dine, alcum la non vedesti E Giovanna si nomava lei che i fatti a terra pir. E le figlie non somiglia a questa. E quali sono? Maria, sei mia figlia, abbraccia figlia mia.
The duet Dine Filia a tal nome palpito from Act One of Verdi's Simone Bocrenegra with Tito Gobi and Victoria de los Angeles with the orchestra of the Rome Opera conducted by Gabriele Santini in this 1958 recording. Gobi considers Verdi's Rigoletto beyond question the greatest of all Italian baritone roles and one of the finest creations Verdi ever conceived. According to him, Verdi has perceived, imagined, and described everything. There is not a phrase or a note which is superfluous or without its own meaning. Arisiamo, io la lingua, ella il pugnale, l'uomo sonio che ride. Oh, 
mi dice fa chi arrida buffone per tarmi da già farlo Gobi there singing the Act One aria Parisiamo from Verdi's Rigoletto, with Tullio Serafin conducting the orchestra of La Scala in that 1956 recording. Vocally, according to Gobi, the role of Rigoletto is one of the hardest in the repertoire, requiring a tremendous amount of dramatic power to be superimposed on the tender, almost sacred feelings of a father. The music is furthermore by turns impetuous, brilliant, and moving describing in a masterly way all of the contrasting emotions of a human soul. Every bit of physical as well as vocal strength is called for, as for example in the demanding scene of Cortigiani Villarazza Danata, in which Rigoletto alternately threatens and pleads with the courtiers to release his daughter Gilda. Here now is the aria Cortigiani Villarazza Danata, as sung by Tito Gobi in this 1956 recording conducted by Tullio Serafin. Oh, I'm a regal 
Cortigiani Vil Razza Danata from Act 2 of Verdi's Rigoletto, as sung by Tito Gobi, with Tullio Serafin conducting the orchestra of La Scala Milan in that 1956 recording. And in that extract prior to the aria, we also heard Renato Ercolani, William Dickey, 
Carlo Forti, and Luisa Mandelli. According to Alan Blith, Verdi, Ziago in Otello and Falstaff were two of Gobi's most cherished interpretations, where Shakespearean depth of characterization is combined with Italian directness of expression. Gobi is unrivaled in this variety of tonal inflection, writes Blith in the 1975 British Music Yearbook, a climax to a moving in-the-round portrait. Let's listen now to Iago's Credo in un Dio Crudel, I Believe in a Cruel God, from Act Two of Verdi's Otello. Alberto Herrede conducts the Philharmonia Orchestra in this 1964 recording. Spinge il tuo limone, il tuo limone sonio, e me trascina il mio, nel quale io credo in esolato in te.
dopo tanta irrisione la morte In his 1957 rendition of Lenore Ladri from Verdi's Falstaff, Gobi, as Falstaff, has prepared letters to two ladies whom he plans to seduce. He orders his two cronies, Bardolfo and Pistola, to deliver these letters, but they refuse on the grounds that they will not compromise their honour. Falstaff ridicules the idea of honour, calling it stupid, pretentious and useless to thieves and beggars like his friends. He ends his tirade by chasing Bardolfo and Pistola out with a broomstick. Listen to how Gobi's voice drips with quivering contempt as he addresses them, calling them ladri, thieves. In this recording of Lenore Ladri from Act 1 of Verdi's Falstaff, the Philharmonia Orchestra is conducted by Herbert von Karajan. This recording dates from 1957.
dunque una parola che c'è in questa parola c'è dell'aria che vola Gorby's vision and experience of operatic interpretation as a total fusion of words, voice and movement led naturally to his development into a stage director. Simone Boccanegra in Chicago and London in 1965 were followed by many productions in which he was both director and interpreter, then many others where he focused only on stage direction. As Leonardo Pinzauti noted in 1984, Gobi was one of a few of the really famous singers who have become mythical not for their musical instrument, although it had personal and distinctive features, but for their musical intelligence. Gobi, in turning to stage direction in the last years of his life, did nothing but continue by teaching to others a discipline of the intelligence to which he had always been loyal. In the early 1970s, Gobi began devoting his time also to teaching, holding master classes in Italy as well as abroad in England, Sweden, Switzerland, Austria, and in the United States. In 1978, he made his last recording for Decca when he sang the role of Chim Fenn in Leone's L'Oracolo. His recording career had spanned almost 40 years. By the time of his retirement from the operatic stage in 1979, Gobi had gained the kind of fame that among male singers is normally reserved for tenors of the first rank. He published two autobiographies, Tito Gobi, My Life in 1979 and Tito Gobi and His World of Italian Opera in 1984. Gobi passed away in Rome on March 5, 1984. His daughter Cecilia now manages the Tito Gobi Association, an organization devoted to preserving and celebrating the record of Gobi's contributions to opera. It is certain, wrote Luca Chierici, 
that if one tries to summarize Gobi through the chronological analysis of a very broad career and the extraordinary variety of characters interpreted, it's nearly impossible to deny that his personality of singer, interpreter and actor probably has no equal among Italian baritones. His relationship with colleagues and his esteem for the great conductors with whom he worked are undoubtedly further elements of a mosaic that lead us to consider Gobi as a multifaceted artist. Even if sometimes he may be criticized, Gobi nonetheless is part of that very small group of personalities who have written the history of opera in the last 50 years. Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of Great Interpreters. The final aria that we will be listening to is Dio di Giuda, taken from Act 4 of Verdi's Nabucco. Oliviero de Fabritis conducts the Rome Opera Orchestra in this 1959 recording. If you enjoyed tonight's program, a reminder that you can download a podcast of this broadcast from On and Off the Record, www.onandofftherecord.com. You can also download a copy from iTunes. And if you have any questions, comments or feedback, you're welcome to contact me on adrian at onandofftherecord.com. Join me again next month on November 22nd at 8pm here on Fine Music Radio for a program on mezzo-soprano Fiorenza Cosotto. From me, Adrian Fuchs, have a wonderful weekend and good night. Duh.
So... 